I am statements in John's gospel. Today we're looking at John chapter 15, and in verse 1, Jesus says, I am the vine. You know, that, that statement doesn't really resonate much with us. Uh, you know, Jesus says, I'm a plant. Um, but you know, it was a very impressive statement to his disciples. When Jesus said, I am the vine, it meant something to them. Because every Jew in Jesus' day, when they saw the picture of a vine, they would think of the nation of Israel. Because the vine was the symbol of Israel. Just like the eagle is the symbol for America, you know, the symbol uh, on Israeli coins was the vine. Just like on our coins, we have the eagle. On the holy place of Herod's temple, there was a large vine that was engraved on the face of the temple. If you read through the Old Testament, you see a lot of times that the, the vine represents Israel as God's people. So when Jesus said, I am the vine, uh, he's saying the vine is not a nation, it's a person. He says, I'm the one that you trust in. I'm the one that you look to. It's like going into a, a courtroom and saying, I'm justice. It's like walking into a hospital and saying, I'm the great physician. It's like walking into Memphis and saying, I'm Elvis. Okay? It's a significant statement. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch in me that does bear fruit, he trims clean, he prunes, so that they can be even more fruitful. Jesus says, God is the gardener. Now, a vineyard can be one of the most difficult kind of agricultural pursuits. A vineyard takes more constant care than almost any other kind of agriculture. And so I think it's a good comparison to us that God is the gardener. God is the one who provides constant care, the one who tends our lives. God is the gardener. And Jesus says he is the vine. Now, for his disciples, when Jesus said, said that, he's saying to them, you can't find life in your heritage. You can't find life in your nation. Your life is in me. And today, Jesus is saying the same thing to us. You can't find life anywhere else apart from Jesus Christ. If you let something else try and be your vine, your source of life besides Christ, it, it's not going to work. Jesus just tells us flat out, he says, he is the only place to find life because he is the vine. And then Jesus says that I am a branch. Jesus is the vine. You and I are branches. That means I have got to stay attached to the vine. I have got to be under the constant care of the gardener. Because that's where the growth happens. That's where the life is. That's where the fruit is born. The fruit is born on the branches. So a key to growth is be a branch. God is the gardener. Jesus is the vine. You and I were the branches. Now there's a lot of talk about fruit in this passage. And, and so the question could be, well, what is the fruit? Is the fruit prayer? Is the fruit love? Is it joy? Those kind of spiritual things. Uh, is the fruit uh, a family? Is it a nice house? Is it a good job? Is it an effective ministry? Uh, doing things? You know, what is the fruit? Well, the fruit 
is being like Jesus Christ. That's the fruit. Not just inside, but in our actions. The way we think, the way we speak, the way we talk, the way we live. The more I become like Jesus Christ, the more fruitful my life is. The more I allow Christ to impact my life, the more fruitful my life is. Because the vine gives life to the branch, and the branch bears the fruit. Second thing Jesus says. He says that as a branch, I will be pruned. And it's important that we as branches understand pruning. Because if you don't understand pruning, then you're going to be confused and frustrated most of your life. Because it's going to look like uh, you know, things are going great in your life. You're growing, you're changing, you're bearing fruit. And all of a sudden, snip. And you're like, God, why did you do that? That was my best looking shoot. You know, it had great leaves on it. It was bearing fruit. Why did you trim that one off? And you're going to be constantly thinking, why is God doing this to me unless you understand pruning? Because pruning is unavoidably necessary for fruit. You can't get fruit out of a branch without pruning. In fact, to qualify for pruning, I must be bearing fruit. And the reason for pruning is so I can bear more fruit. Because it's all about the fruit, the fruit of Christ's likeness in my life. Me acting like Jesus Christ in my everyday experience. And branches need drastic pruning. We need drastic pruning. In fact, vine dressers will cut off 90 to 95% of a branch in pruning. That's how severe the pruning... And you may think, God, I cannot take any more pruning. You are demanding too much from me. And some of you may feel like you've been facing more than your share of pruning lately. And you're looking at the other branches and thinking, nobody's chopping them off. Why is it all coming my direction? When that happens in your life, I wonder what kind of fruit God is preparing you for. In your office, in your home, in your family, at church. What is God preparing you for that he is pruning you in that way? Because God doesn't prune to be mean. God doesn't prune to be judgmental. God doesn't prune to be severe. He prunes because he is preparing you for something great. That's the purpose of pruning. You know, Horticulture Magazine says, Mature grapevines need yearly pruning to produce large clusters of sweet, delicious grapes. Pruning has to happen often in my life. It goes on, it talks about removing deadwood. Also, you know, when you're pruning, you, you, you not only cut off the deadwood, but you also cut off some of the living stuff. And so it says, also remove any dead wood. If you're unsure what is dead, cut the branch and examine its center. What's at the center of your life? Is Jesus Christ at the center? If not, that branch is dead. If the branch has produced exceptionally good growth, you may leave a few extra buds. On the other hand, if the branch is weak and spindly, prune it back even farther. You know, you might think that the weak and spindly branches would escape the pruning, but the weak ones get pruned back even further because it's pruning that makes them grow strong and makes them bear fruit. Now, the Father has only one criterion for pruning, only one reason. How can I get the most fruit out of this branch? Pruning is not punishment. It, it, God is pruning to get the most fruit. 
And we've got to understand that as a believer, because if I don't, I'm going to be confused. If my goal is simply the length of the branch, the beauty of the leaves on the branch, how impressive it looks to everybody else, I'm going to be constantly confused. Because John 15 says that God's goal is fruit. The fruitfulness of my life. Becoming like Christ, acting like Christ, serving like Christ. And if that's my goal, then pruning begins to make sense. Because pruning produces fruit. Now, third truth about this is that pruning hurts. Especially when you think about pruning from the perspective of the branch. Because you and I are branches. And the branch on that grapevine has spent all year stretching itself out. It's borne some grapes off that branch. It knows how long and how beautiful and leafy it is. You know, there's fruit that's come. And then God comes along and wants to lop it off. I mean, how do you feel about that? No, God, it took me three years, five years, ten years to grow that branch. Haven't you seen the fruit that's come from that branch? Why would you prune that back? Because God is interested in making you more like Christ. Which, by the way, will result in more fruit. So there's no pruning without pain. But in much of our pain, there is promise. Because the promise of pruning, the purpose of pruning, is fruit. You drive through vineyard country in the summertime, and the leaves are green and luxurious, and as the grapes begin to come on, they're just beautiful, and and the whole thing's even more beautiful in the fall when everything starts to change color. But vineyards are ugly in the springtime. You know, after the, after the gardener has come through and pruned back the branches, I mean, there's just a bunch of bare sticks out there. And many of you look at your life right now and you think, man, this is nothing but a bunch of bare sticks. What is God doing in my life? The gardener has been pruning and the fruit will come. And you might be wondering, well, how does God do his pruning? If those pruning shears are coming, what do they look like? Well, some of God's tools that he uses to prune us. Jesus indicated one of them, verse 3, when he talked about his word. He says, you're already clean. The word for clean, there's the same word for pruning. He tells the disciples, you've already been pruned because of the word I have spoken to you. And one of the great ways that God prunes us is through his word. We read his word, we become convinced in our heart, we make a life change, we bring our behavior, we bring our will in line with God's word, we stop doing some dead things, we start doing some fruitful things, and we grow and we bear more fruit. God uses his word to prune us. God uses daily circumstances to prune us. Anybody ever been pruned by daily circumstances? Yeah, it happens, you know, daily. One of God's greatest tools is struggles. Not the daily circumstances or irritations, but the big, life-changing struggles that we go through. All of a sudden, we see life in a whole different way, a Christ-like way, because of the struggle. And God prunes us back all the time through our relationships with other people. God uses all those tools. Which one would you like most for Him to use? For me, I'd like it to be the Word. Because if I spend time in his word, it's going to save me some pain. It's going to save me some pruning. God can tell me in advance what I need to cut out, what I need to change before it gets to be too painful. And so I want to spend time in his word because that's one of the tools that God uses to prune us. And I'd rather have him prune me sooner through his word than prune me more severely 
through a struggle or a crisis or a relationship. Third thing, Jesus said, I must abide in Jesus Christ. In the NIV, it uses the word remain. So when we see the word remain, think abide, abide, remain, stay. You know, they're all the same, the same words. The, the word abide, the word remain, appears 11 times in the first 11 verses of chapter 5. The, the word appears four times alone in the fourth verse. I mean, do you think Jesus wants us to get this? He's saying, abide, 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 remain, 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 stay, stay, over and over. Stay attached. I'm the vine, you're the branch. Stay attached to me. I mean, how long can a branch live not attached to the vine? The truth is, it starts dying the moment it's detached because the life is in the vine. Jesus says it very clearly here. It says, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. If you don't get this concept of remaining, abiding, you're going to miss one of the keys to, to growth in the Christian life. Jesus says, remain in me, abide in me, and I in you. The first part is active. Abide in Christ. That's active. That's something I do. It's a decision, a choice, an action that I, that I take. Christ in you is passive. That's his part. That's something Christ does in my life. And spiritual growth takes both of these. It takes abide in me and I in you. It takes active and passive. It takes discipline and dependence. You know, too many people try to make it one or the other. I mean, how many times in your life have you said, you know, I'm just going to do more. I'm going to be more disciplined in the Christian life. I'm going to read the Bible more. I'm going to memorize more verses. I'm going to get more of the Bible in my life. I'm going to be consistent in a quiet time, and then I'll grow in Christ. But if you do all that and you forget to depend on Christ, even though you've got all that discipline, without dependence, you're not going to grow. Some people swing to the other end of the extreme. They think, oh, I'm just too disciplined. I'm becoming legalistic in this. I'm becoming ritualistic. I'm in a rut. And so I'm just going to let go of all that stuff, and I'm just going to love Jesus. But you're not reading his word, you're not praying, you're not abiding. And so you're not going to grow that way either. It takes both in our lives. I abide in Christ, Christ abides in me. And Christ says, stay in my word, read my word, make that your part. Pray, talk to me, listen to me, make it a part of every day. Thank me for the things in your life. You know, the man just saying, breathe in the grace, breathe out the praise. It takes both of those. You know, that's what releases the great power of God in my life. And if you don't get that, then the Christian life, you're going to miss out on one of the keys to growth. You know, we all need to know that it's possible to try to have a Christian marriage without abiding in Christ. It's possible to try to have a Christian business without abiding in Christ. It's possible to try to be a Christian parent without abiding in Christ. It's possible to try to do ministry without abiding in Christ. It's possible. But if you're trying to do that, it's tough. <laughs> Jesus says that's not it. It's not about trying. It's about trusting Abide in me and I in you. 
And Christ wanted to make this clear, so he says it over and over again. He says, you can't bear fruit unless you abide in Christ. And if you abide in Christ, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Sometimes, you know, we read that and we think, what does it mean, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing? You know, I know some unbelievers, people who are apart from Christ, they've done great things. You know, they, they've got good families, they've got good careers, they've built big buildings, big bridges, big companies, they've run countries. What does it mean, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing? Apart from Jesus Christ, you cannot bear fruit in your life. You can't become like Christ apart from Christ. It's an empty, burdensome pursuit. Apart from Christ, there's no truly lasting fruit because apart from Christ, there is no life. It will not last. And you might do some great things in this world, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about fruit that will last forever. And apart from Christ, we can do nothing that lasts. A branch that is not bearing fruit is not good for anything. Literally. You can't take a grapevine and make furniture out of it. It just doesn't work. You can't put a grapevine in a fireplace because it burns too quickly. A vine that is not bearing fruit is useless. Now, people get uptight as they read, read through this passage about this useless concept. You know, John says if a branch is not bearing fruit, it's cast into the fire and burned. Well, when we hear that, what's the first thing we think of? We think, oh, it's hell. Jesus must be saying, if I don't bear fruit, I'm going to be, go to hell. But is that what he's saying? Is that what it says here? Does it say you're cast into hell if you don't bear fruit in your life? It's not what it says. It says you're like a useless branch that's cast away and burnt that's not good for anything. Okay, it's the same picture that he gave us in the Sermon on the Mount when he talked about salt. He said, you're the salt of the earth. If you lose your salty taste... You can't be made salty again. You're good for nothing except to be thrown out and walked on. And he didn't literally mean you're going to be thrown out and trampled on. He's simply saying in both of these pictures, he's saying if you're a believer and you're not abiding in Jesus Christ, letting his salt and light and fruit come through you, then you're useless in the world. You are not fulfilling your purpose. And that's tragic. He goes on and he gives us three specific examples of what happens when we abide in him. Verses 7 and 8 says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit and you show yourselves to be my disciples. You know, the practical outgrowth of abiding, remaining in Christ, how does that happen in our everyday lives? Well, first Jesus says, My words abide in you. And when we let Christ's words abide in you, his promises become a part of your life. And that's when something exciting happens. That's when you begin to ask whatever you wish, and it's done. Prayer and promise are always linked together in Scripture. When you and I get a hold of the promises of God in his word, when we begin to pray prayers that, that are based on the promises of God, our prayers start to be answered. 
Because one of the fruits of abiding in Christ is, is that my will is conformed to Christ's word. I'm abiding in his word, and God keeps his word. God fulfills his promises. And so my prayers get answered. Number two, he says, you abide in my love. Verse 10, he says, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands, and so remain in his love. How do you stay attached to Jesus Christ in your everyday life? How do you abide in Christ's love? Will you obey Jesus the way Jesus obeyed God? You know, notice Jesus didn't just say obey. He gave us a picture here of how to obey. He says, obey me the way I obeyed God. And Jesus obeyed God within a relationship of trust. Jesus obeyed God because he knew God would do whatever was best. Jesus obeyed God because he knew God would do what was right. Jesus obeyed God because of his love for God and his understanding of God's love for him. And Jesus said, if you want to abide in my love, here's how you do it. Look at the way I did what God asked me to do. And then you do the same thing. The more you obey, the more you'll abide, the more you'll be attached, and the more fruit you will bear. Because fruit flows out of obedience. Third thing, Jesus says, my joy abides in you. Now it's interesting when we think about this conversation, this promise of joy that Jesus gives us here. Because he told this to his disciples on the night that he uh, was going to be betrayed and arrested. In fact, this happens after the Lord's Supper. They've gone out from the upper room, probably in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is probably even pointing at grapevines while he's telling them this. And in that setting, in that that time before he's arrested, Jesus knows what's going to happen. He knows he's going to go to the cross the next day. He knows that he's going to die a painful death. He knows the physical and emotional and spiritual torture that is coming to him in just a few hours. And yet, in that night, in that moment... He says to his disciples, I want my joy to be in your life. And when Jesus went to the cross, he wasn't thinking about punishment. He was thinking about joy. What joy are we talking about? It's the joy of changed lives. It's the joy of salvation and redemption. The joy of eternity together in heaven. The joy of sitting at the Father's right hand. That's the joy that Jesus was looking for. And Jesus wants to give you that quality of joy in your life. In a world that is lacking joy, or at best, faking joy, Jesus says, I want you to have the real thing. Lisa Lester broke the Guinness Book of World Records for smiling. She smiled for 10 hours and 5 minutes. If you think there's nothing to that, try it. Because those muscles get tired, and they get tired quickly. But is that joy? No, that's just a smile plastered on her face. Real joy, genuine joy is in the heart. Genuine joy is in the heart even when there are tears coming down your face. Genuine joy is in the heart because I have the security that I have in Jesus Christ. No matter what happens in my circumstances, I am safe in God's love and protection and that brings joy, real joy. And so Jesus had a joy which could endure a cross. 
And he said, I want to give that kind of joy to you. I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made complete. The question is not whether you and I will have joy. I mean, you have some joy. Jesus said, I want to take the joy that you have in your life and I want to make it complete. So the question is, am I going to settle for an incomplete joy in my life? A joy that's just attached to things, a joy that's driven by circumstances, a joy that comes and goes based on what happens in my life. Jesus says, I don't want you to have that kind of joy. Not the world's kind of incomplete joy. I want you to have my kind of joy. Complete, full. Have you noticed that your joy lasts uh, as long as whatever you've put your joy in? You know, if you go to Worlds of Fun, your joy lasts as long as you're at Worlds of Fun. For some families, it doesn't even last that long. (laughs) If you put your joy in a chocolate cake, the joy lasts as long as you're eating that chocolate cake. The minute you've finished eating the cake, the joy turns to regret. (laughs) Why did I eat that cake? You know, you put your joy in a drug or or alcohol. The joy only lasts as long as the high does. If you make Jesus Christ your source of joy, your joy lasts as long as Jesus does. And that's forever. That's why Jesus said, let my joy be in you. I'll make your joy complete, full. It's one of the fruits that come from abiding in Christ. Now, I've got a homework assignment for you today. Tomorrow morning when you get up and and go into your bathroom, I want you to look yourself straight in the eye, look in the mirror, and just say, I will not try and be the gardener today. I will not try to be the vine today. I am a branch. I will stay attached to the vine. I will abide, and I will bear fruit. Let's pray together. Father, sometimes we try to make these things so complicated, and yet you give us simple pictures for living the life that you want us to live. And although it's simple, it's not always easy. We know that we need to stay attached to you, and yet we face the temptation to try to live life on our own. And sometimes we try to do it our way instead of following you. And sometimes we just forget to abide in you and in your word like we need to. God, I would pray that you would just put the desire in our hearts to stay attached to you. And that if we let go and stop depending on you, if we let go of the discipline that you've asked us to have, if we let go of the obedience that you've called us to, if we lose the joy and the love that you offer us, God, I pray that you would draw us back. And that through your grace, you would bring us back to you and that we would attach, we would abide, we would remain, we would stay in you. Thank you that you're the vine where we can find life. That you're available to us, that you died on the cross to give us a new life, that your love and your joy are available if we will abide. Father, we thank you for that promise in Jesus' name. Amen.